0: On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, Where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I always, whenever I read this, I always feel bad for the expert of the law. He had no idea who he was up against when he was trying to trick Jesus. But um, how many of you heard this story before tonight? is probably all of us. This is a very famous story. And uh, the word Good Samaritan is actually a, a fairly f- famous combination. Um, it, uh, there, there is a, it has a good feel. It has a good vibe, Good Samaritan. He was a Good Samaritan. He helped out his neighbor. And uh, there are some charitable organizations named after the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan's Purse. Um, and the, out east in the uh, area that I grew up in, there was the CVS Good Samaritan van. And it was a, a van that helped anyone who, broke, who was broken down on the highways. And so if you saw the Good Samaritan van, it was a, a CVS-sponsored mechanic that would come and help you out. But the Good Samaritan has good connotations to us. And it's a, It's a great story. But I want to ask, why does Jesus tell this story? And uh, is this story as, uh, really as clean as we picture it, as we remember it at, um, from, from our youth, from our Sunday school classes? And if you really stop with a magnifying glass and look at the story, you'll see that it is gritty. And uh, it, it is calling us to some difficult stuff. So, so let, let's dive in. Why does Jesus tell the story in the first place? Well, um, imagine the scene. Jesus is teaching to a huge crowd of people and people are excited about him. He seems different. The people are hanging on every word. There's rumors about miracles he performed in the last town. And, uh, but, but Jesus is sort of the new kid on the block. He hasn't come from the same schools as the experts of the law or the Pharisees or the other religious leaders. He's sort of this new figure that has popped up. And so... This expert on the law who has spent most of his entire life studying the Old Testament really knows it forwards and backwards wants to see if Jesus is the real McCoy or wants to test him. It says, uh, on one occasion, an expert in law stood up to test Jesus. He's after really no good. His motives are impure. He wants to really try Jesus out. And so he asks a question that uh, really gets at the heart of the matter. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, just like today, if you were to just um, interview a stranger at the Yorktown Mall, hey, what must you do to inherit eternal life? You would figure out a person's belief system pretty quickly about how they they responded to that. And in Jesus' day... um, there, there were different categories of Jews. There was like Essenes, Sadducees, the, you know, the Pharisees, and the religious leaders, and um, so depending on how Jesus would answer that, then the expert of the law could categorize him and shed light to the rest of the public on who Jesus was. And so it's a trap. It's a trick, but uh, it backfires on the expert. And so he asks, "What must I do to get to heaven?" And Jesus says, "Well, you're the Bible scholar." No, he doesn't say it like that, but it, it really sounds like that when you when, when, when uh, put yourself in the in, uh, scene. What do you think the Bible says about it, Jesus says? Jesus asks, and the expert quickly responds by stating a summary of the Ten Commandments. Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love the neighbor as your, your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, well, there you have it. Do this and you've got heaven. Then it's this must have been there must have been murmuring or chuckling or like ooh Jesus put him in his place because the next line it says but he wanted to justify himself and so he says and who's my neighbor and you can hear like a snideness when he asks this well who's my neighbor and then Jesus really lets him have it by telling this parable and. Uh, it's a great question. Who is our neighbor? But it's really the wrong question. And we'll look at this later. But first, let, let's look at the parable. Let's look at the story. And I have, a, I have an image up here that I want to show you. I got this in the mail. See, as soon as, like, a certain uh, mailing list find out that you're a pastor, you get all these crazy stuff. And I got this. This, was a, a, this is on a card um, advertising Bible cards, like, you know, hey, you might just want a whole pack of Bible cards. And uh, and so this was a Bible card that I got in the mail. But look at the Good Samaritan uh, scene. There's the Good Samaritan like looks like this wise old sage. And look at the uh, man who fell among the, the robbers. He looks, well, it looks like he just got out of the shower. He He's like clean and uh, his hair's in place and, you know, um, And I think if we uh, recall back to our Sunday school days um, and read this text, we might just read it thinking, oh yeah, it was a nice scene like this. A nice Samaritan helped out this nice guy, but this couldn't be further from the truth. He doesn't look half beaten, half dead. Jesus is trying to set the scene to make um, a statement. And he goes out of his way by telling it in a very nasty way, setting the, s- the setting in a very nasty way. See, he starts off the, the parable by saying, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And if we call it to the next slide, we'll get it off that, that false setting slide. And uh, this is very hard to read. In fact, with all my glasses, I can barely see it at all. Um, but it was the best ma- map I can come with, up with that showed mountains. And so you see the, the dark brown... Uh, spine down the middle is the mountainous region, and in the middle, um, uh, just a little bit off the E in Ju- Judea, just to the right of the E in Judea, you, you, you'll you see a black square, and that's Jerusalem, and the man was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and if you look at the Dead Sea and go up north a little bit, you see another black square, Jericho. Now, um, actually, Reverend w- Wiener covered this last week a little bit, that the road to uh, Jericho was a 17-mile road, but it wasn't just, you know, from here to, you know... Uh, Wheaton or something. Uh, Wheaton's more than 17 miles out, but it wasn't a flat, straight, you know, it wasn't Roosevelt Road. Um, Jerusalem was at an elevation of of 3,000, nestled right in that little mountainous region. And Jericho was down on the uh, plain of the Dead Sea, and it was at a negative 1,000 feet. So it was 1,000 feet below sea level. So it was a 4,000 foot trek, 17 miles, and it wove through those mountains. And it wove through like the. It was a it, um, a very thin, very narrow path, and and it just wove around uh, up and down the ravines and, and around nooks and crags, and it was it was a it was a very dangerous road because there were so many good caves and nooks to hide out in. The path house thieves that could easily ambush um, travelers and take whatever goods they were carrying. In fact, I was just reading an article about this path, and still today, in, in, in our modern day, there's still thieves that ambush travelers on this road because there's so many good hideouts, and uh, people are so vulnerable when, when, when taking this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And, th- and uh, robbers are hanging out, and they attack this man, and they strip him naked, and they beat him, and they leave him half dead, the scriptures say That's the story that Jesus sets up. This really nasty um, setting where it's a very difficult, dangerous path. Man falls among thieves and gets beaten. His valuables are taken away. His clothes are taken away. He's beat up. He's bruised. He's bloody. And he's left to die. And he will die unless there's intervention. Enter the two heroes, right? The priest and the Levite. Now the priests um, were well, you know. They were the priests. They were they they were uh, in 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 um, faith church world. They would be uh, uh, me and Reverend Scheringa. and uh, we're supposed to help out, right? We're supposed to help out a fellow Jew in in a, you know well in in, in our context it would be a fellow Christian um, in need. If anyone's going to help out, surely it would be a priest or a Levite. A Levite would be a temple servant. So. Um, uh, pe- you know, it was uh, from the class of people where priests came but also it was the, the, the temple servants people who would uh, set up the altars and, and take care of all the, the, the um, acts of service in the temple and so if there are two people in the people of God that should be close to God that should value what God values and should care about what God cares about it should be a priest and a Levite but these guys are hung up on the law. And the law says that if you touch a dead body or about to die, dead, be dead body, then you're unclean. And so, if we're going to give the priests and the Levites an excuse, the only, the only real relevant excuse we can give them is that if they're on their way um, to do uh, temple service, if they're on, on the way to, uh, to the synagogue and they touch, uh, someone and help someone out, touch someone that, that is about to die, they'll be unclean and they'll be out of commission for a week. And so I hate to make excuses for these guys, but that's the only excuse that the story allows for. They were busy and they, had, um, they could be unclean and that could render them useless for the, their temple service. And so they care more about that law and they scooch by. I'm sure they were going to send help when they got to Jericho. I'm positive of that. But enter the Good Samaritan. Jesus does the unthinkable by inserting the Good Samaritan here. He makes the hero of the story a Samaritan. Now today the words good and Samaritan go hand in hand, but back then they couldn't be further opposites. To any good Jew, a Samaritan was scum of the earth. Samaritans were people who caved in, people who mixed with the pagan nations. In fact, um, when, when the Assyrians came and, and, and um, exiled um, the Israelites, they, um, they, inter- they intermingled with the Assyrians, and they intermingled with other nations from all over the globe. And when they resettled, they kept some of the Jewish law, and, but not all of it, and so they weren't really Jews, and they weren't really Gentiles. They were this 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 crazy mix, and the Jews thought, man, this is the reason why uh, the Romans have, have come and, and, and uh, conquered us in the first place. God is judging us because you haven't kept the law. You've went and married folks outside of the Jewish nation, and you're not following God's law, and so all this judgment is on you. You know, we love to to, to blame shift, and so to be a Samaritan was to be the worst of the worst in the eyes of a Jew. In fact, there's one um, episode in the Book of John that I love, where the Pharisees get so mad at Jesus that they don't know what to do, and they say, "You Samaritan," and they call. I mean, that was the the, the biggest cuss word they can think of. That's how much the Samaritans hated the Jews. And uh, there's been there's been uh, evidence that, that shows in the, in the, uh, the religious services and actually they found one of the morning prayers in, during Jesus' time um, in the Jewish uh, ceremonies that there was a morning prayer to God to destroy the Samaritans. That's how animal, you know, that's how uh, hateful the, the two groups were towards one another. But that's the hero that Jesus makes of this parable. Jesus picks a Samaritan who comes and helps this man, bandages him up, puts him on his donkey, and brings him to safety. Who acted as this victim's neighbor, Jesus asks the Bible expert. Well, I suppose the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. And then Jesus goes by saying, go and do likewise. Be like that Samaritan. In a very poignant way, Jesus answers the question, who is my neighbor, by showing the people that your neighbor is anyone who you come in contact with, even your enemy. But the the expert of the law's big mistake was choosing that question in the first place. The question shouldn't have been, who is my neighbor? Instead, it should have been, what does it mean to love my neighbor? Because who is my neighbor is a legalistic question, and I imagine he was asking, who is my neighbor, so he could get Jesus to define it, because the experts of the law, the Pharisees, were great at mincing up God's principles and God's, God's laws, and because if they could, they could define it um, in certain terms, then it would be easier to carry it out, because what if well, the expert said, Jesus, who's my neighbor, and Jesus said, well, obviously, your friends and neighbors. Well, you could be nice to your friends and neighbors. You could love your friends and neighbors. But don't make it the people in the next town. Don't make it your coworkers. Don't make it your, um, your enemies. So probably hoping for some, some definitions so that he could um, better carry it out. Instead, he gets the everybody you come in contact, including your, your enemies. The question should have been, what does it mean to love my neighbor? So let me ask you that. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, we scored ourselves earlier on a scale of 1 to 10. What number did you pick? And, and why did you pick that number? Did you pick 7? Because it wasn't 10, because you're not a 10, but you're, you're, you're not 5. Um, or did, did you have a more methodical approach to it? Well, I, I'm pretty nice to people. I try to do nice things to people. I generally like people. When I was thinking about this passage, I thought, yeah, I, I'm a pretty loving person. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I got into the, the, the pastorate because I, I care about people. But then when I began to see the meaning in this passage, I thought to myself, man, I am nowhere near as loving as Jesus is calling us to in this passage. If you look deeper into this passage, into this parable, you'll see that the Samaritan is really uncanny. You find very few examples of him in our society. First of all, it's a Samaritan helping a Jew. The Samaritan wouldn't be expected to help the Jew. In fact, the people would have thought, oh, the Samaritan's coming, he's going to probably kick the man on the way down or step on him or finish him off. But the Samaritan doesn't. He helps. But he doesn't just help. He goes out of his way, risking his own life. I mean, those, those thieves could have been right around the corner. Risking his own life, he gets off the donkey, gets down and dirty, helping this victim. He pours wine and oil into the wounds to cleanse and soothe him. Two things that he probably could have used later on, wine and oil two costly commodities. And then he bandages up the the, the uh, man's wounds. Now, he probably wasn't carrying a medic case. And so the, the bandages probably came from his own clothing or his own belongings that he tore. He wasn't getting those back. And then he puts the dying man on his donkey and walks him to the nearest shelter. And when he gets to the inn... He gives the innkeeper two silver coins, which is about a day's wage each. So if you make $50,000 a year, he gave the innkeeper about 400 bucks, and said, please take care of them. And uh, when I come back, if there's been more expenses, I'll, I'll pick up the tab. It's an amazing story. And if you put yourself in your shoes, would you go that far out of the way for someone? Put yourself in the inner city Chicago. Your car breaks down in a gang-infested place, and you see someone in need. Do you just try to save your own life and scooch by, or would you help them? It's very hard to personalize, but it's an amazing, amazing display of love, of sacrificial love. He puts himself at risk, uses his own wine and oil, he he makes bandages, he puts the man on his donkey, exerts physical labor, and then shells out 400 bucks for the stranger whom the priests and the Levites walk past. How often do we love our neighbor like that? How often do we put ourselves for out for other people. I don't know about you, but this is going the extra mile. And sometimes I'll go the extra quarter of a mile. But the the whole mile is difficult. After studying this passage, I realized, man, I am probably more closer to the priest and the the Levite than I am this Samaritan. I wonder how often I let the busyness of life keep me from compassion? How often do I let my priorities blind me to the needs of others? It's really an impossible command. And it comes on the heels of the question, what must I do to inherit an eternal life? And the answer is, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's another sermon from another time, but that's a difficult command. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And loving your neighbor as yourself means sacrificial love to an incredible degree? It's almost an impossible thing to ask. How can you possibly love anyone you come in contact with as much as you love yourself? It is an impossible task. Yet this is the task that Jesus sets before the Bible expert. This is the task that Jesus sets before us. There's one key to unlocking it, and the key to unlocking this is by asking yourself, let me put it this way, we tend to relate to different characters in the parable, right? We tend to think, oh, I'm not a priest, or I'm not a Levite, or maybe I am a priest or a Levite, or I'm more like the Good Samaritan, or I'm less like the Good Samaritan, and so those three people are, are us in general. But who is, who is the, the dying man in the parable? Who's the dying man in the parable? Is Jesus telling the story specifically in such a way that could be shedding light on who the dying man is? Well, he's a Jew who is half-dying outside of Jerusalem. And I think in this parable, and the way it's placed in Luke, that without saying it, Jesus is casting himself as the man that fell among thieves. And if you think about it that way, we find the key to unlock how do we do the impossible task. Because Jesus is the man who gets beaten up for our sake. Jesus is the man that gets stripped his possessions, his clothes, and he's nailed to a cross for our sake. It's Jesus who shows incredible, amazing, sacrificial love for us so that we will never be abandoned. We will never be forsaken by the Heavenly Father. And it's only by receiving that amazing love that we can begin to show that amazing love. And so I ask you to rank yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, not just to be a fun opener, but to think, hey, if you, if you ranked yourself as a 3 or a 5 or even a 7, and, and you're wondering how you can move down that list to 10, the answer is... It's imp- we become better lovers in proportion to how well we understand and how well we receive the gift. If we, The more we internalize both our need for this amazing love and that amazing love, the more we're able to express that amazing love. And so... The application is a tough one. If I would say, okay, let's go out and and, uh, love like Jesus did, I'm doing you an injustice because the how. There's a little step in between. The application of this parable is really to consider your sinfulness, to consider how much you are like a Levite or a priest and how much you don't love others the way you love yourself. Consider that. Consider how far from God's love you are. And then realize the extent of God's love for you, even though you're like that. Realize that despite your sinfulness, despite your selfishness, God died for you. God loves you. God redeems you and is calling you into his, his purpose purposes. When you realize your sinfulness and realize the extent of the love that was poured out for you, your love will grow. And so the action, the application tonight is consider your sinfulness and consider the remedy. And may that cause us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Or maybe more import- importantly, love our neighbors as Christ loves us.